0: Hebrews chapter 3, that's where we'll be, we're in a study of Hebrews and so as you uh, turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, get up on the app. We have a website, tcbchurch.org, our notes are on there, we have an app, you can follow along. There's also great resources to study Hebrews with us, tcbchurch.org slash Hebrews. Take advantage of those things, they really are helpful for you as you study along we're going to jump right in today but I need you to think through two things okay just two thoughts I want you to bring into the text this morning the first one is a little heavier the second one's a little lighter okay here's the first one you guys uh who have been in the word you know that the bible teaches us that God loved Jacob and hated Esau remember that I want you and I to realize our propensity to ask the wrong question, to take our instinct, our pride, our worldview, if you will, into the text. So when you hear that and you come across that verse, probably like me, sometimes your first thought is, why would God hate Esau? But See, that's the wrong question, isn't it? And for any of you who have grown on in your faith and you're not coming at the gospel with kind of a naive, immature look, you understand something. It is not hard to understand why God, who is holy and righteous, would turn his wrath on sinful man. Instead, it is almost unfathomable. That he would love Jacob. Isn't it funny how we approach that backwards? Second thing I want you to do is I want you to kind of imagine for a moment you have kids. Now for some of you, that's going to be really hard. Right? Now imagine you have kids. Okay? And I want to ask you a real question. And I just want you to kind of play along. Play with your emotions, okay? Do you love them? Do you worry about them? you fear for them? Now imagine they had a medical condition. And every week, they needed medication. And without that medication... Each week, your child will die. The insurance and pharmaceutical companies are dragging their feet. It is day seven. What would you do? What would you do? Keep this feeling with you this morning its relatability will serve us well as we walk through the text. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, we were there last week, begins with therefore. And it's a good reminder that we're in the middle of a single letter. And within the context of it, we're also in the middle of a building argument. Back in chapter 1, we see the author of Hebrews building this understanding that Jesus is a better revelation. God in full made himself known in the Son. For through Jesus we know God. Hence the revelation proclaimed in Jesus surpassed that of God's heavenly servants, the angels. And Not only that, the revelation proclaimed in Jesus surpasses that of God's earthly servants. Even a hero like Moses, who brought so much deliverance to Israel. And so while these creations are servants in creation, Jesus, the Son, God, is the creator over creation. We saw that last week, earlier in chapter 3. Moses is a servant in God's house. Jesus, the son, is over the house. He is the creator, the builder. As a result, Jesus alone brings rest. I mean real rest, absolute rest, deliverance, peace with God. He is our confidence and our hope. He is our life. Verse 7, Therefore, As the Holy Spirit says, it's a really cool thing. Just want to pause and make sure you see something here because it's really neat. The author of Hebrew defends the inspiration of Scripture. By inspiration, we mean that when a human author was writing the words of Scripture, they were the words of the Holy Spirit. And here you see an example of that. The author of the Hebrew defends this because he is about to reference, about to cite Psalm 95 that Pastor Paul read a moment ago. And he doesn't say the psalmist wrote it. That would have been true. But he says, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for forty years therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest it's pretty much a direct quote from Psalm 95 the only like really kind of detail that's omitted. I want to take a minute and chase with you for just a second. Psalm 95:8 includes the reference to Masah and Meribah. So, you got to remember what's happening. We did a review last week. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. They have Israel, Moses, has left Egypt, the superpower of the world. There's been the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, really cool. All this stuff is going down, right? God has spoke to his people, given them a law, led them by uh, a fire and a cloud. I mean, provided man. It's just really incredible. All this is happening. And God is directing. This is important. Directing Israel. He is the leader. He is revealing himself through Moses, giving description of who he is and who he has called them to be. So they're taking their orders from God and they find themselves going through the wilderness. Okay? Wilderness. Doesn't sound like a place you want to put your house, right? like it's it, it's not a wilderness, right if there's a Buckys at every like you know stop you guys been to Bucky's anybody been to if some of you I, I haven't been to Bucky's yet, so Pastor Jeremy tells me that they tuck in all the good things in West Virginia and put it in one gas station uh, so I, I haven't made it yet. watch this is a wilderness, and so they come up on this stop and there's no water now there's Roughly a million people, probably more. They have livestock. They need a lot of water. And in Exodus 17 3, the people thirsted for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Now listen, to kill us and our children our livestock with thirst. Their circumstances produced fear, and their fear was greater than their faith. You're going to get us killed. You're leading our children to their death. Remember, what would you do? They need water or they die. Their kids die. And if you're thinking, well, God would never ask me to choose him over my kids, over my loved ones. Consider Abraham and Isaac before this. And consider the words of Jesus in Luke 14, 26, after when he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, the truth is this. God is a rightly jealous God, worthy of all. Even your kids. We just sang it. He is worthy of all. What would you do? They grumbled. They questioned in their fear. Now God gives them water, but in verse 7, he called the name of the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which just means quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God had revealed himself to them through Moses, through great signs. They were questioning his revelation, his instruction. The circumstances didn't feel right. Their kids' lives were at stake, and they're going, I don't know, are we sure? But this specific account, this account with the water here that we're talking about, it's not the focus of Psalm 95 or Hebrews 3. That's Israel's rebellion weeks later that we'll see in Numbers chapter 4, and we know that because it's clearly linked through verse 11. We'll come back to that in a minute. But what can we learn from this example of Masah and Meribah? Israel's failure is faithlessness, not a singular action. Their failure is a lack of faith. See, Israel didn't obtain the rest of the promised land because they lacked persevering confidence, hope. Those are Hebrews' three terms. Because they lacked faith. Their fear trumped their faith. They didn't believe God was who He said He was. And they turned back to themselves. What was the rebellion? It is faithlessness. I want you to see it. Numbers chapter 13. Okay? All this goes back to this account. I want to read through it. We're going to do a lot of reading. It's a lot of story, kids. It's a great story. It teaches us so much about who God is and who we are. So just kind of lean in as we walk through it. So here's what had happened Israel had sent spies to spy out the land promised to them, to spy out Canaan. Now, the people, the Canaanites, for example, aren't just going to leave. This is going to be a war. We know in the future that war is going to take seven years, roughly. It's going to be a battle. Guys, think about it. These people have been in Egypt, slaves. They haven't even been there. There's no Google Maps, okay? Again, it's it's a million plus people. They represent like the 10th largest city in the U.S. How do we go in? Where should we go? How's this going to work? So they sent out spies to see what's going on. In Numbers 1330, Caleb said, after coming back, let's go up at once. And occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Let's go. Caleb, recognizing, faithful in the Lord. The Lord has promised us, let's go. We're right here on the doorstep. But in verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. And go on to say, they're giants. They make us look like grasshoppers. If we go, they're just going to squash us. And in Numbers 14:1, all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. Listen to what they've just heard. You've left Egypt. You've gone through all this. You're wandering around in a wilderness. You've been thirsty. You feel like you're just dying in the heat. Like this is tough. And by the way, if we go fight this land, that's not that good anyway. They're going to kill us all. And if you believe their report, if you believe their account, and by the way, let's just be real, these spies probably aren't just some randos. Joshua and Caleb are there. They're great leaders. These are probably some good leaders, respected people with them. And they're saying, we go, we die. And here you are, caught in the wilderness, marched out of Egypt. No place to call home, and you begin to think that medication that my child needs to live isn't going to make it. Relate to them. Too often, as the church, we look back and go, Oh, Israel, they're they're just dumb. I don't understand why they don't get it. Relate to their fear. Verse 2, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Here's where their attention is, listen. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Yes, in Egypt where they were slaves. But you know what? They were alive. They had water. Can you feel their fear? Can you understand their burden as a husband, as a mother? Just personalize it for a moment, contextualize it for us today. Today, God has made himself known in Jesus through his word. He has given us instruction. It's clear. We are called to die to self and live in Jesus through faith. Called to gather and worship. But what if my kid gets sick? It might get sick. There's a lot of germs there. We're called to live on mission. But what if I lose my job? We're called to pursue holiness. But kids, what if I'm I'm left out? Nobody wants to hang out with me and make fun of me and persecute me. We're called to picture the gospel in our marriage, but what if I'm not happy? We're called to love and forgive, but what if I'm wounded and I'm hurt? Church, hear me. Saving faith does not mean that we do not have fear. It means we take those fears to Jesus, our confidence and our hope. Today, I will take today's fears to Jesus because he is my confidence and my hope. And if my saving faith is authentic, tomorrow, when I have new fears, I'll take those to Jesus my confidence, and my hope. You see that in Hebrews 3 verse 6 that set this up. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Saving faith is active in the present, growing as we grow. As more is revealed to us, we continue to hold on to our confidence and our hope, our faith that Jesus is worthy of our lives. That he is all. So back to verse 7, Joshua and Caleb speak up and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into it. He'll bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice their argument. Their argument is not about their own strength. There's nothing in which Joshua and Caleb are saying, we're stronger than they are. We're bigger than they are. We've got better weapons, better strategies. It's none of that. Their argument isn't in their ability to deliver themselves. No, they say back that their confidence, their hope is in the Lord. He will. Give. That's a gift. Give it. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. This is faith in who God has revealed himself to be, not who they are. It is a faith they are willing to stake their lives to, the lives of their children. And you can't help but read through this and notice the two kind of conflicting accounts, the faithfulness of Joshua and Caleb against the faithlessness of Israel and in verse 10 they have been reminded of who God is but all the congregation said stone them with stones but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel I don't have time, but quickly, just a small rabbit, okay? Small rabbit. Faithful leadership isn't a popularity contest. Our society is so therapeutic, so like kind of relationally driven. You just need to understand biblical leadership isn't a popularity contest. Throughout the pages of Scripture, the Bible describes loving Faithful leaders who expose truth. And when those truths are exposed to any of us, me, you, all of us, we are faced with a pretty simple response. Repent or reject. And throughout the pages of Scripture, you will find faithful, loving leader rejected. If you're leading in the church, if you're making disciples, if you are proclaiming truth and holding up a mirror of that truth in the pursuit of Christ's likeness to build up the body of of Christ, you're, you're going to face some rejection. And if you're looking around and you're finding these leaders and these people in your life and they seem to always walk the middle like the perfect politician and no one ever really has anything, that person doesn't exist in scripture. They just don't. Just something for us to think about as we make disciples. Israel would have said, Yahweh is my God. But they practically questioned if he was who he said he was. They weren't certain that the God Moses described was more powerful than the battles that lie ahead. Their fear was greater than their faith. And with their children's life on the line, they'd rather stone those who would lead them, who would call them into those battles. To choose a leader who would agree with them. Return to Egypt before they'd follow such a revelation. One that would seem to lead to their destruction. And yet their actions as understandable as they may be in our flesh. Their unfaithfulness didn't lead to deliverance. Instead, it led to their death. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will the people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you, speaking to Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. God says, I'll send a flood like purging on Israel. We will wipe them out and start over with you, Moses. Moses intercedes for the people. And in verse 19 says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. For the sake of your name, Moses says, forgive them. And in verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Now listen, there's a lot in this we can get distracted and and chase lesser things. I want to make sure you stay with the author's intent as we see this here in Hebrews and the connection back. Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 are pointing us forward to the consequence of Israel's rebellion. Verse 21, the Lord says, But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory And my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, And has followed me fully, I will bring into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb, later Joshua is included in this, will enter God's blessing, rest. Why? Because they followed fully. His faith was greater than his fear. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years. And you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked congregation who gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end. And therefore they shall die with all this in mind the author of Hebrews writes God has revealed himself made himself known not through Moses a servant in the house but Jesus a son over the house who delivers rest As we talked about last week, not a nap, not just another well, absolute peace with God. Listen, reject Him. Live in your faithlessness and die in God's wrath. Hold fast to your faith throughout and live in God's rest. or the faithless, I can get it right, the faithless die in the wilderness. Three implications, very quick. First, first big idea, faithlessness is rebellion. Israel's rebellion was that their fear was greater than their faith. They sought to save their life, to be their own deliverer, To remain in the illusion of the rest delivered through the wells in Egypt. Faithlessness is disobedience. Is rebellion. Yes, rebellion against their directive, sure. But also rebellion against God and who he has revealed himself to be. As the team comes up and prepares a response, second big idea, rebellion brings wrath, not rest. It brings wrath. If God didn't deliver Israel into the blessing promised, into their blessed rest of the promised land because they were unfaithful to his revelation through Moses, how shall we escape if we neglect his revelation in Jesus. One of my favorite quotes is a C.S. Lewis quote. It's in The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Some of you guys remember the book. Any you guys remember that book? Any kids read that book? It's a good book. And there's this great part where Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. And she's surprised. Because she thought Aslan would be a man. And she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then she asks Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king. Jesus is the son, God, creator over the house. In him there is rest for the faithful, for those who find their life in him. Reject him and there is no escaping his wrath. Final big idea, revelation demands a response. Paul writes in Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has revealed himself. Jesus, the Son, delivers rest, peace for the faithful. You and I, broken creation, listen, You have fears. The question is, where do you take them? Where do you run? Where is your hope? Where is your confidence? May it be Jesus, the only salvation, the only deliverer, the only one who brings us rest. May it be Jesus. Psalm 95 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pastor, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hebrews 4.11, rather let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, we are all Esau's. We are mm-hmm. sinful in our flesh at war against you seeking our own will and our own pride and yet you loved us left to ourselves death is the wages of our sin and yet you gave us your son Jesus who paid that death who paid that penalty for our sin that through faith in him we might be delivered, redeemed, and given rest. Father, if there's anyone here who is not alive in Jesus through saving faith, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would do a work in them. And for us as the church, as we now prepare to take the Lord's Supper, may we remember And may we rejoice. You paid the price. You gave your life. So that we might live in your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.